Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website johnsonsairconditioning.com also brought to you by naples illustrated bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles the website is naplesillustrated.com by the way when you go there you can get a weekly publication to your email box uh, it's called on the town just sign up it's at no cost it comes out weekly some of the great things that are going on here in the paradise coast naplesillustrated.com we have a terrific guest for today's show, including William Yateman. He is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll be visiting about uh, current events with William. Byron Donalds is our state representative and candidate uh, for Congress here in the 19th District. And uh, he got the uh, endorsement of the Club for Growth. That's a big deal. We'll talk about that. We'll visit with Sharon Kenny. She's the author of Where Should We Eat? And uh, Nancy Lashide will be joining us. She is the co-founder, along with her husband, about 21 years ago, of the Neighborhood Health Clinic, a terrific organization, quite frankly, a template for solving some of our health care problems around the United States. Nancy Lashide will be joining us as well. It is June the 12th, and on this day in 1987, one of his most famous Cold War speeches, President Ronald Reagan challenged Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev to tear down the Berlin Wall a symbol of the repressive communist era in the divided Germany. In 1945, following Germany's defeat in World War II, the nation's capital, Berlin, was divided into four sections, with Americans, British, French, controlling the western region, and the Soviets gaining power in the eastern region. In May 1949, the three western sections came together and formed the Federal Republic of Germany, or West Germany, with the German Democratic Republic, East Germany, being established in October of the same year. In 1952, the borders between the two countries were closed, and by the following year, East Germans were prosecuted if they left their country without permission. In August 1961, the Berlin Wall was erected by the East German government to prevent its citizens from escaping to the West. And between 1949 and the wall's inception, it's estimated that over 2.5 million East Germans fled to the West in search of a less repressive life. With the wall as a backdrop, President Reagan declared to a Berlin, West Berlin crowd in 1987, there is one sign the Soviets can make that would be unmistakable that would advance dramatically the cause of freedom and peace. He then called his Soviet counterpart, Secretary General Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate, Mr. Gorbachev. Open the gate, Mr. Gorbachev. Tear down this wall. Who will forget those wall words? Reagan then went on to ask Gorbachev to undertake serious arms reduction talks with the United States. Most listeners at the time viewed Reagan's speech as a Gorbachev to renew negotiations on nuclear arms reductions. It was also a reminder that despite the Soviet leader's public statements about a new relationship with the West, the U.S. wanted to see action taken to lessen Cold War tensions. Happily for Berliners, uh, though the speech also foreshadowed events to come. Two years later, on November the 9th, 1989, a joyful East and West Germans did break down the infamous barrier between the East and West Berlin. Germany was officially October the 3rd, 1990. Gorbachev, who had been in office since 1985, stepped down from the post as Soviet leader in 1991. Reagan, who served two terms as president from 89, 81 to 89, died on June the 5th, 2004, at the age of 93. Great speech. And, of course, you take a look at what I had the opportunity to actually go to East Germany and ride around for a little while, going through Checkpoint Charlie. The difference between East Germany and West Germany at the time, and I think that was about 1967 or 66, if I recall, uh, was the difference was so palpable. And, of course, you can see that with uh, North and South Korea, just a, a view from the satellites indicates uh, the how North Korea is absolutely a backward country, and uh, communist just doesn't work. Well, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis announced the state has unveiled a plan to open public schools at full capacity this fall. Now, this may not sound like a big deal, but it really is because some 
are considering, in some states, not opening the schools. The plan developed by the Reopen Florida Task Force in conjunction with the Florida Department of Health and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention provides a roadmap to support health and safety measures amid COVID-19 and close achievement gaps for those uh, for the move to distance learning, uh, DeSantis said. It will be supported by nearly $1 billion in energy funding, emergency funding, I should say, from the $2.2 trillion Federal Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security, or CARES Act, uh, passed by Congress in March. The State Division of Emergency Management will also coordinate with school districts to ensure they have adequate personal protective equipment and sanitation supplies to help limit the spread of the virus. So this is a big deal. And what I like about the plan uh, really is that it actually passes a lot of the authority down to the local school board and local school leaders based on what's happening in their area. Uh, State Education Commission Richard Corcoran addressed concerns about reopening schools amid the pandemic, saying all the data was in showing children are extremely low risk of contracting or spreading the virus. In fact, I read a story that a hairdresser who had tested positive for COVID-19 apparently worked with about uh, 60 people, and none of them tested positive for the virus. Speaking of which, Immokalee is a home to about 25,000 folks, many of whom are seasonal for the winter harvest season and uh, migrate to Georgia, North Carolina, and Michigan to work in fields and packing plants in the summer. The poverty rate is about 44%, so roughly 11,000 residents in Immokalee live on incomes below 26000 for a family of four. A dozen farm workers may share a mobile home meant for a handful, which can accelerate the spread of the virus. So uh, that's what's happening right now. About half of the cases in Collier County are in this little community of Immokalee. And uh, they've got uh, folks out there uh, who are working with the first uh, Doctors Without Borders. But there's a new group in there right now, a federal international group that's working with them and testing uh, as of Monday, the State Department of Health had administered 4,799 tests in Immokalee. The infection rate was 18% at the end of May, up from 4% on May 5th, according to the data collected by this global response team. Interesting. While coronavirus has affected many people in different ways, some experience a slew of symptoms, some is just a few, and others may be asymptomatic. As scientists and medical professionals learn about the virus, a new study by 23andMe sheds light on the blood type is more or less likely to contract COVID-19. The data gathered from the preliminary study of more than 750,000 participants shows that O blood type appears to be protective against the virus when compared to other blood types. AB apparently is the most likely to get COVID-19. That's Isn't that an interesting uh, study? Uh, if you're no blood type, you have less chance of uh, getting COVID-19. Well, yesterday, Wall Street plummeted, got creamed as investors reacted to renewed fears of pandemic resurgent and had digested dour economic forecasts for the United States. Thursday's equity carnage that saw the Dow Jones Industrial Average sink 6.9% or 1,861 points to 25,128. The S&P dropped also 5.9 points, its worst day since March. And the NASDAQ composite, which rose about 10,000 for the first time a day earlier, lost 527 points or 5.3%. But as businesses reopen and people emerge from staying at home, COVID-19 cases are climbing in nearly half the states, that according to the Associated Press analysis. Investor optimism for a speedy recovery was also dimmed by the Federal Reserve, which warned Wednesday that the road to recovery from the worst downturn in decades would be long and vowed to keep rates low for the foreseeable future. It's estimated the economy will shrink by 6.95% this year, in line with other forecasts, before expanding 5% in 2021. It's expected that the unemployment rate at 9.3% near its peak at the end of the last recession will be that at the end of the year. It's now at about 13.3%. So those factors, along with a recent run-up in stock prices, set the stage for a wave of selling yesterday. The Labor Department said Thursday that about 1.5 million people applied for U.S. unemployment benefits last week, another sign that many Americans are still losing their jobs, even as the economy begins to gradually reopen. The latest figure marks the 10th straight weekly decline in applications.
That's good news. Well, market is up right now. Futures are up about 500, so it, it will uh, rebound. Hopefully, it's not what they call a dead cat bounce. We'll see. The encampment, dubbed by some as the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, formed after weeks of protests over the death in Minneapolis of a black man, George Floyd, is in, in police custody. Thursday, uh, Tucker Carlson show. It was great. He, he is just doing a great job. If you don't watch it, it's on from 8 to 9 o'clock on Fox News. He hit his opening monologue to welcome the so-called Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. He's calling it Chaz to the world family of nations, which has apparently sprung up out of protests sparked by the death of George Floyd. He called it Chaz an anarchy and questioned why no Democrats in Washington, D.C. had said anything about Chaz. So Chaz is a nation without leaders. It's a flat system. It's an anarchy. How long can it continue? Probably not very long. Anarchy isn't built to last. In the end, the strong always dominate the weak. And in fact, they already it's already happening. It took barely a day for the nation to get its first warlord, and it's quite a promotion for him. Just a week ago, Raz Simone was an up-and-coming rapper. He was also a super host for Airbnb. Now he's a monarch. <laughs> Tucker Carlson, this is all kind of tongue-in-cheek, but it was really, number one, entertaining, but very scary, too. The president said, by the way, President Trump says, this isn't going to last. Either you get this taken care of, both to the governor and the mayor of Seattle, or I'm going to fix it myself with federal forces. I think he means business. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Okay, coming up, we're going to visit with William Yateman. He is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards with six full productions this season. But did you know that Gulf Shore Playhouse brings unique theater education programs and opportunities for children, teens, and adults alike? Education is a vital component of Gulf Shore Playhouse's mission, providing programs aimed at enriching the lives of our children, teens, and students of all ages. Each offering provides real-life skills and learning experiences that are invigorating, nurturing, and readily accessible to every member of our community, thanks to the scholarships and reduced-price programming for our region's most deserving students. From in-school residencies and pre-professional theater training to community partnerships, audience engagement, and student matinees, the goal is to inspire creativity, encourage self-expression, and support the blossoming of self-confidence, collaboration, and a deep appreciation for the arts. With each passing year, Golf Show Playhouse continues to touch the lives of tens of thousands of students throughout Southwest Florida. Isn't it time that a young person in your life finds out more? For more information about student camps and the Teen Conservatory, visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And the new season is being posted. It is posted now at the website. You can get tickets now. Go to golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with our state representative and uh, candidate for Congress, Byron Donalds. Right now we have with us, as I mentioned before the break, William Yateman. He is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure. And uh, Cato Institute is one of my favorite organizations, and I certainly uh, appreciate uh, the point of view. Maybe you can tell our listeners what Cato is all about. You bet. Uh, we're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're committed to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. So uh, let's start off by talking about a new nation, according to Tucker Carlson, that's been formed in the midst of Seattle. I guess it's about seven blocks. Uh, They not only, it's an anarchy, but they've already selected a new leader. This guy, Simone, uh, is uh, apparently patrolling the area, and uh, they all have guns that are declaring we're the police now. (laughs) So what are your, you're a constitutional scholar. What are your thoughts about all this? Well, there's not a... uh, I, I guess not a great deal of constitutional law directly on point. Um, this is a, certainly a unique situation, and, and God willing, it, it resolves itself peacefully. I mean, these, um, you know, Seattle already had an issue with uh, tent cities of, of homeless people, and I'm highly sympathetic to the cause of the homeless. I used to work at a homeless shelter, hmm. um, but I do think that a component of any homeless strategy has to be to take on, you know, uh, the opioid addiction element. Um, so they were already dealing with that, and now, separate to that, separate to these sort of autonomous uh, autonomous tent cities, um, they've got this uh, CHAZ, and uh, I forget what the, that is an acronym for, but uh, in the wake of these George Floyd protests, yes, a, a, a substantial part of the central city has been seized by armed people. And uh, as I understand it, there are reports coming out that they're, in essence, running a bit of a, a racket there. I mean, they're informing people going through and businesses there that um, taxes must be paid to, to <laughs> yes. the new autonomous region there. So it is, uh, they, certain, uh, you know, uh, they certainly seem to be employing the mechanisms of the state, notwithstanding their uh, avowed distaste for the state. Oh, my goodness. I mean, well, the uh, uh, CHAZ is an acronym for Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. It was, uh, I think, uh, formed by Tucker Carlson, if I'm not mistaken. But he did a great monologue last night, if you didn't see it. But, uh, I mean, how's this all going to end up? The president says he's not going to tolerate it. He wants to, uh, if you're not going to enforce the law, we're going to come in and take care of it for you. He's pretty uh, forceful in his statements about this. What are your thoughts? Well, I'd, I'd hate to see it nationalized like that. I mean, I, I generally, I mean, invoking the Insurrection Act and having federal troops in there, um, I'll put it this way, as, as, as awful as it sounds, and it does sound awful, I'm here in Washington, D.C., you know, 2,500 miles away. I don't know whether or not we need to federalize it as an issue. Uh, I, I do believe, you know, the municipal, county, and state resources to that end can be employed and I, uh, above all else, I do hope that guns don't start firing. I mean, I don't want another Waco-type situation where um, a lot of people are getting killed here. I, I don't have much sympathy for these Chaz folks, but I don't want anyone to die, and I don't want anyone to get hurt. Right, I would agree with that. But I, I think the president uses his, it's a bully pulpit type of thing, like, if you don't handle it, I will. Uh, I'm sure he's thinking to himself, you know, he's, he wrote the book, right? He wrote the book uh what was it on negotiation or uh, the art of the deal? The art of the deal, right? So this is this is how he does it. I mean, he 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 comes out very forcefully. I think with the idea that hey, take care of this or I will, knowing full well that he doesn't want to do that. And to be sure, I don't put that past. I mean, such a strategy past President Trump, and such a you know, to be honest, a perhaps effective strategy. Right. Um, and I do recognize that what Trump says is often different than what he does, and that is indeed part of his uh, part of his uh, strategic uh, the way he goes about things. Right. So I do hope that this was just what you say, an effort to perhaps prompt the local authorities to to get a handle on what's going on there down in chat. Well, absolutely. Hey, but I want to move to another really important thing that's happening today. This uh, Flynn thing is going to the court. There's going to be arguments on both sides, apparently. It's going to be televised. Uh, I know that my wife is saying, I'm canceling everything. This is what I'm going to do to you. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts? 
I do recommend uh, listeners can, can just go straight to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals YouTube page, and, and indeed it is webcast live. Uh, this is uh, the attempt, this is a, 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 the higher court hearing a, a, an effort by Michael Flynn's lawyer, and this is the gentleman, we've spoken about him a number of times, got railroaded by the FBI, right. the DOJ rightfully, I mean, it was a correct decision, it's dropped the charges, but this district court judge, Emmett Sullivan, um, is, is refused to do so. I mean, you know, notwithstanding the fact that there's no one to prosecute the case, he seems like he wants to prosecute the case. And Sidney Powell, Michael Flynn's very capable lawyer, then sought a higher court, the D.C. Circuit of Court of Appeals, to basically say, you know, Judge Sullivan, please, um, dismiss this case. There, there's no one prosecuting it. You, under our constitutional system, you have no business involving yourself in these matters. Um, and that is uh, the, what the D.C., this higher court, this appellate court, is going to hear today. Again, it'll be live on YouTube, and I do urge your listeners um, uh, to please give it a listen. Sidney Powell is a fantastic lawyer. I mean, I would two thumbs way up um, for her performance. So. Um, I, I, I do recommend it. And, you know, uh, she also wrote a book, and it was recently released. I had her on the show. We talked about his prosecution machine, or prosecutorial machine, I forget which, in any event, uh, by Sidney Powell. It is such a scary read. Uh, I mean, when she talks about how the courts operate these days with all the rules and the, the laws that have been passed, all the deal-making where, you know, people that shouldn't be incarcerated end up incarcerated. And, and Michael Flynn is part of the narrative on that. He ended up, I mean, the, the story behind this is absolutely heart-wrenching. It's just unbelievable. Look, we're going to prosecute your kid <laughs> if you don't, uh, if you don't, I guess, compose is the word, right? If you don't uh, make up a story because you say you didn't do the things that uh, we accuse you of doing, well, I just agreed to it. And he did. He actually said to save his family, he, he said, okay, I'm guilty. And then, uh, of course, his lawyer stepped in, his new lawyer. And by the way, his old lawyer, guess, guess who he was represented by? The firm, the, form, the firm of the former Attorney General, Eric Holder. Oh, oh Colby, uh, I forget. So that is a, that's actually a great point. Um, the venerable firm, it's been around for 100 years, that had yeah. represented Michael Flynn, was so satisfied with the plea deal that it sent out a press release. Um, and, you know, subsequently the case was changed to Sidney Powell, a lawyer who, who I think the world of, but amongst the elites perhaps doesn't have the best reputation. And she single-handedly did a far better job than this venerable firm, that, that of formerly Eric Holder, um, who thought so much of itself and its performance that it issued a press release. Um, well, so, so it's a real feather to her cap. It was, so my, my question to you would be, maybe they did a great, de great job based on what their agenda might have been. Oh, indeed, perhaps. Um, I also want to note one thing. You, what you said is exactly right. The many irregularities that were attended to the FBI's investigation of Flynn, that's outrageous. Yeah. That is something that if Jeff Sullivan wanted to turn it, train his guns, his sights upon, um, his interest upon, uh, that, that would have uh, provided a much grist for the mill. I mean, so it, there is an outrage here. Um, and alas, uh, Judge Sullivan has taken sort of a 180-degree direction from the real outrage. Yeah, and he's, uh, he's also, the Stevens case, of course, was another case of prosecutorial abuse. So he's been down this road, but he's decided to use it for political purposes this time. Wish we had more time to talk about it. But again, William Yateman, uh, he is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. I genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. And again, that's Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Worth checking out. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Byron Donalds, our state representative and candidate for Congress. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere then 
includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. A little shout out to Lulabee's Diner right there in the Green Tree Shopping Center. They do a great job for breakfast and lunch. Uh, hope you'll stop by now that they're open. And also, I mean, they support uh, St. Matthew's House. Terrific organization supporting the homeless and the needy here in our area. There's a lot of that going around. They could certainly use your support. Uh, you go to stmatthewshouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Nancy Lashide, co-founder of the Neighborhood Health Clinic. Right now we have with us Byron Donalds. As I mentioned before the break, he is our state representative currently. He's also a candidate for Congress. Byron, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. How you doing? I'm well, Byron. I hope you are as well. I am. Excellent. Uh, Byron, uh, one big piece of news here I want to tell our listeners about is you were endorsed by the Club for Growth. And just a little background on Club for Growth. But Club for Growth uh, uh, backs candidates for Congress or for any elected uh, office uh, based on uh, the their view on economic issues. And you got the endorsement. This is really rare. You got the endorsement before the primary has been completed. This is a big deal. Congratulations to you. Yeah, thank you, Bob. And I mean, listen to the to the leadership of the Club for Growth. I just want to thank them for their support and belief in in my campaign as and as me as a future member of Congress. You know, I, I think if you look, especially, and we're going to get into it, but if you look at the 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 future of our country, economic liberty, uh, freedom, um, free enterprise are really pillars of our society. And as much as we might have issues that come up and bubble up, and as much as there are. Uh, certain inequities that take that exist in a lot of our urban communities. Uh, it is a free market capitalist economy that provides the bedrock for all people to be successful in America. And so, for, for the global growth to come in and endorse my campaign, what it really meant meant to me and signaled to me is that it's, it is incredibly important that uh, uh, that my voice and and my principles represent our area in Washington D.C. So I'm just really thankful for their support and. You know, my team was, they were excited and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like, listen, you, you know, you still got to go in. So our yep. focus is back to the campaign, but we're really thankful and grateful for their support. Well, I tell you, I watched the uh, video of the uh, uh, forum that was held by the uh, Florida Citizens Alliance. I thought you were just the most outstanding candidate uh, when I watched it in comparison to the others. And, of course, I've already endorsed you. I can do that because I'm not on the radio. I'm uh, on the Internet, so I have the freedom to do that uh, before the campaign is over. So, I mean, Byron, I think you're going to be a terrific congressman. I think, actually, you're going to be one of the stars that's picked out by the news media outlets to be interviewed. I think it's, uh, I'm going to encourage our listeners to go to byrondonalds.com. Byrondonalds.com is the website. So, Byron, a lot going on here. We've got the uh, murder of uh, George Floyd uh, and all the aftermath of all this is going on. It's, it's very disturbing. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, listen, I think that the, one of the most important and key things is that um, the wheels of justice are moving with respect to the case of George Floyd. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our officers, that they go out every single day, I have the utmost amount of respect for them. 
But in this instance, with this officer in particular, there was just no need for him to have his knee on George Floyd's neck for eight and a half minutes, which did cause his death, um, in my opinion. Yep. So I think that justice needs to be done. Now, I think the most important thing that we're seeing now as it re- with respect to the rest of the country is what the political response is now becoming. And what we have heard, heard and seen over the last couple of days is this movement uh, to defund the police. And I came out a couple of days ago and spoke against it because defunding the police is not going to keep our communities safe, especially our urban communities. What it's actually going to do is take more police officers off the, off the streets and off of their beats. Uh, they'll be more, they won't be as, as ready to respond to events as they occur. And frankly, and this is the most unfortunate part, uh, criminals and gangs, they're going to know this too. And yeah. so they'll be more emboldened to, 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 to commit crime and, in some respects, violent crime uh, with more regularity because they know there's going to be less measures of deterrence in our communities. Well, in fact, if you want to see the result of the future and what it's going to look like without police uh, uh, being uh, completely funded or, or funded properly, you're going to end up with what's happening in Seattle. That's exactly right. And I think that in, a, in the second part of this, though, and this is important, is that you know, the people who support this movement, what they're saying is, is that we need to take the money out of police departments and put it into mental health and put it into better education and, uh, and put it into education and so on and so forth. But what it appears to be what, what the people on the left, frankly, who are, who are advocating for this, uh, they just want to continue to fund more government programs, the same government programs yeah. that have failed our inner cities for more than 70 years in America. Um, so, you know, I think in response to what they're advocating for, what I'm actually advocating for is is more choices in education, more choices in health care. Mm-hmm. Um, so people actually have freedom and opportunities and purchasing power, mind you, by getting government bureaucrats out of the way and actually putting those resources directly into the hands of people to make these decisions in, in the broader economy. You know, if you look at our education system as, 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 to be, as the first pillar of this, it is without question that our education system, especially in our, in our urban communities and especially in the urban corridor, have failed more young black kids, more young white kids, more young Hispanic kids than anywhere else in the country. Right. And they failed them by not giving them a education well, how they have failed them is not providing them a transformative education. They've given them a basic one, but it's not been transformative so that they can use those tools and that knowledge to change their economic lot in life. And so, you know, what I advocate for is, uh, is school choice in our urban areas, making sure parents have the ability to go find the academic environment that best suits the, the, the talents of their child. So well said. I mean, it it all comes back to not government programs, but it comes back to the individual. I mean, that's what the Constitution says is we're, you know, born free and individually endowed by God, by the Creator. And uh, so we need to support that in all of our legislation. We need to make sure that people have the ability to make good decisions for themselves and their families. And your point is so well taken. Then, therefore, how does that happen? It happens with school choice, maybe with the charter schools, maybe with uh, the ability to choose which public school a child is able to go to. But somehow, some way, a parental voice needs to be included in this. That's absolutely right. I think if you look at one of the key failures of monolithic education, it's actually happened during, during my time in school with my generation. We were told that you have to go to college to be a success, without a doubt, without a question. If you don't go to college, you're going to be a failure in America. So what did you have? So many of my peers, we all strive to get a four-year degree. Mm-hmm. Well, the actual result is so many of my, of my uh, contemporaries actually went to college, got a degree, and then had to go get retrained in their 30s or go seek something else because they got a degree in something that wasn't helping them on an economic basis. So, you know, in the Florida legislature, what we have started to do is actually bring in, uh, bring back trade schooling and, and bring back um, more hands-on uh, economic forms of education. So a child doesn't have to go to college to, quote-unquote, be successful. Yeah. They can go into the trades. They can go directly to work. Um, things that will help put food on their tables, help provide for their future families. Also, without having to take on college debt, which could be more and more burdensome to a household budget, 
in, in today's world. I mean, yeah. these are the types of reforms that we need, Bob. Absolutely. What we don't need to do is put good money after bad by putting it into a top-down education system. That's not going to help our young people in America. Uh, so well said. I couldn't agree more. And uh, I just want to remind our listeners, too, I'm reminded by these comments that uh, you actually in the legislature have been very instrumental in helping to get our uh, Florida education programs on track. I mean, we're getting rid of Common Core and a number of things. Uh, it's uh, people like you in, in uh, our state legislature that have really helped that happen. So, so Byron, how can, we, how can we support you in your campaign? Uh, right now, go to ByronDonalds.com. You know, the Club for Growth's uh, support. Uh, is going to be tremendous in our campaign. Uh, you know that's going to be a big lift for us. We, you know, we have a, a clear path to winning and a trajectory to winning this campaign, this this primary election. And so, I just need people to go to ByronDonalds.com, uh, click on the donate button, make a contribution, uh, help us, you know, keep our message out there and stay on TV and stay in mailboxes. And uh, if you want to help us out by making phone calls or knocking doors in your neighborhood or even being a social media advocate for our campaign, go to TeamDonalds.com and sign up. We'd really love to have your help. Perfect, Byron. Well, as you can tell, I mean, uh, Byron is extremely well-spoken, very thoughtful. He knows the Constitution and the rule of law as well as anybody that I've heard coming into a primary like this. So I certainly hope we can all support ByronDonalds.com as the website again. Byron, so grateful for you coming on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Bob. You have a great day. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Sharon Kenny. Sharon is the author of Where Should We Eat? She writes commentary locally here about dining, entertainment, and travel. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink, as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Nancy Lashide. She and her husband founded the Neighborhood Health Clinic. Right now we have with us Sharon Kenny. She is the author of Where Should We Eat? She also writes commentary on news on travel, dining, and entertainment. Sharon, thank you so much for joining us. Great to talk to you, Bob. Thank you, Sharon. So uh, off air, we were talking a little bit about the misinformation that's going around. And, you know, I, I heard that Tommy Bahama closed uh, because one of their employees had COVID-19 tested positive. You think that's a little bit of an overreaction? Well, you know, there's actually two restaurants. There is also, I believe it's the New York Pizza Mm -hmm. um, up in North Naples that also closed because of that. Um, but Tommy Bahamas at least has reopened. 
Um, so, you know, it did close for a short period of time. And, you know, I think that there's a couple of things going on here, Bob. I think, you know, misinformation is a real problem. Rumors, innuendos, and not coming, people uh, either mishearing or, you know, how do rumors get started? But I, I, for one, drove by Tommy Bahamas the day that it closed, and I saw Wink TV out there. Wink TV was also in the vicinity of Sea Salt. People then started saying Sea Salt was closed. Posted that on Facebook. It never was true. Mm-hmm. And then Sea Salt had to do a huge campaign online to say, no, we are not closed. Yeah. Um, so that's how things get started. And, um, you know, whether it's people doing it for nefarious reasons or people um, just uh, wanting to be the first to tell people something, to be the owner of the information, the news, the gossip. I don't know. I guess it's gossip, I guess. Well, look, there's an agenda behind a lot of this, you know. But And, and quite frankly, I mean, we, we hear about 100,000 or more people dying from COVID-19. That's on the death certificate, but it doesn't necessarily mean that was the cause of death. In fact, we've, we've heard complaints about this. So, um, you know, there there is a political agenda behind what's going on. Right now we hear about a new wave of coronavirus coming and uh, what happened to the market yesterday, down 1,800 yeah. and some points. I mean, and I have to say, I'm a little bit of a conspiracy theorist, but I just wonder about the political motivation behind all this. Well, I read a very good book uh, called The Power of Bad. It just came out in December of 2019, which was hmm. incredible. I read it just as the pandemic was starting, and it was so insightful about how bad news can overpower good news. Mm. And in particular, it talked. Uh, it had a lot of examples about um, online reviews of restaurants and things and how um, a restaurant can get a number of good reviews, and as soon as it gets something bad, then all of the reviews start to turn bad and how difficult it is to turn that around. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it, 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 there's even a formula for it that I can't remember exactly, but you, know, you need four or five good things in order to overpower one bad thing. Um, but even that is very, very difficult. And um, we seem to thrive on bad news rather than good news. And so we're hearing about restaurants that will never reopen, um, which, and a lot of it is, never, is not even close to the truth. Yeah. And, and the problem is that those are businesses. Mm-hmm. You know, these are people's businesses. And so as that rumor spreads, um, you know, it actually does hurt a lot of people in their, in their pocketbook. Certainly does. And it is really a shame. Um, and again, I come back to the whole, the whole notion of an agenda. People should be able to make their own decisions with what's going on right now uh, with regard to their own health. I mean, uh, you know, all this uh, mask <laughs> yeah, you know it's it's uh, you know if you want to wear a mask, hey, I respect that. If maybe you have uh, an immune system that is uh, you're concerned about getting the getting the disease, I get all that and and respect it. So let, you should make your own personal decisions. Let me make mine. Let's not be critical of each other. Uh, and now I, I understand the other side of the argument is you know this is a uh, public health issue. Well, the public issue, health issue is the hospitals getting full with with corona, right. uh, COVID nineteen patients. That's not happening. So let's open this thing up. Well, and what I don't understand is people not understanding the basic premise around wearing a mask. If you are in close quarters with other people within six feet, then wear a mask if that makes you feel better. Mm-hmm. But if you're not in close proximity, if you're not within six feet of other people. You don't have to wear a mask. There's yeah. no reason to wear a mask. So I see people walking around on the streets outside yeah. with masks on. Uh, there's yeah. nobody around, and yeah. they're still wearing a mask. Yeah, bike there's, riders. Uh, there's no reason for it. Uh, you're absolutely right. You're not going to get it from the air. You're not going to get it from birds. It's not floating around. It's from being in close proximity. So if you go to the grocery store and you feel uncomfortable about being within six feet of other people, wear a mask. Mm-hmm. But if you're just outside doing anything, you know, where you're not with a bunch of other people around, there's no reason to wear a mask. If you're in your garden, if you're in your front yard, there's no reason to wear a mask. Walking on the street for exercise, no reason. So uh, right now they're doing a lot of testing in Immokalee. Uh, they have a community of 25,000 people, and there's, uh, there's quite an quite a, uh, outbreak. But they're out there, they're testing everybody. Now so I'm guessing, and they don't say anything about this, that some of those people that are testing positive for COVID-19 are asymptomatic. 
They're not demonstrating any kind of symptoms whatsoever, or even mild symptoms, for example. So I'm saying that this is all over, kind of overblown. Why don't, uh, and, and maybe I'm wrong, so if that's true, let's get out the information. You know, uh, there's an outbreak in, in uh, Immokalee, and everybody's dying. If that's the case, tell us that, but I don't think it's the case. Well, and I don't understand when people talk about how this, the key to this is testing, testing, testing. We can test all we want here. No one is advocating for everybody to go and get a test. Right. Um, you, I, I went with my husband. We were getting blood tests for, for health, for checkups anyway, so we ended up getting COVID tests that were readily available. But nobody encouraged us uh, to go get a test. Yeah. And yet everybody is advocating for more testing. The testing is out there if you want it. It certainly is. And, uh, well, it's some people are just, quite frankly, it's unfortunate, but some people are just caught up in the fear that's been created by all this. And uh, the consequence is uh, they're, you know, demanding that uh, people around them behave in a certain way. It's just not their right to do that. Well, once again, The Power of Bad is a great book, and you know, it's not a partisan book in any ways by scientists about just the influence of bad news yeah. and how powerful bad news can be in overwhelming good news. And it talks about that whole fear factor and the whole idea of promoting fear and how it takes over people's lives. Yeah, this is such an important point you're making. Uh, I really appreciate it. Sharon Kenny, again, the author of Where Should We Eat? A Handy Guide for Selecting Restaurants Based on the Occasion. Uh, Where Should We Eat? Sharon, always appreciate your commentary. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to talk to you as always, Bob. Thank you so much, Sharon. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to visit with Nancy Lashide. She is the co-founder of the Neighborhood Health Clinic. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulubee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. And even with the pandemic, it's important work. You can find out more by visiting the uh, website, thefga.org. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Nancy Lashide. She is the co-founder, along with her husband, uh, of a terrific organization. It's called the Neighborhood Health Clinic. Nancy, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for asking us. My pleasure, Nancy. And it's been, uh, I guess, you started 21 years ago, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe you could tell us about the Neighborhood Health Clinic. 
Sure, I'd be glad to. Yes, you're right. 21 years ago, um, my husband and I practiced in Naples and uh, came here in the late 70s and became cognitive of uh, an element of underserved for the service industry um, in Naples. And when we retired uh, in 99, we made the cognitive decision that we would do something about it, and we established the Neighborhood Health Clinic. Uh, Our mission is to provide quality care for low-income workers who have no other choice. We are the safety net of the safety nets, and we are uh, run by volunteers, uh, all professionals, and all private money. A great organization. I think it's the template for taking having health care around the nation. Now, yesterday, uh, I understand that you got a gold rating from the National Association of Free and Charitable Clinics, the NAFC, their quality standards program, the, the highest standard in the nation. I think that's pretty terrific. <laughs> so do we. <laughs> I attribute that to the administration leadership to our staff and all our hundreds and hundreds of volunteers. Um, As I had mentioned to you, um, we did not apply for that. So it was kind of serendipitously presented to us two days ago that uh, we won the gold award for the country. Um, There, you know, there's a lot of... uh, Uh, happiness going on at the clinic right now and pride, and uh, we will continue to live up to that uh, gift of award. Absolutely. So I want to talk to you about the uh, coronavirus, COVID-19, and uh, how you're Mm -hmm. dealing with that. Before we do, though, I'd like our listeners to understand a little bit about the economics here, because uh, you're not government-funded. In fact, uh, if I'm not not mistaken, I think uh, about 93% of your employees are volunteers Doctors, nurses come to you know give their time to help these patients, uh, and uh, it's it's really working. <laughs> it is thanks to this community. You know, in relationship to the virus and the community, um, when all of this started to happen, um, it was amazing how the community reached out to us. Everything from uh, NCH offering to bring the robots to disinfect our facility, to Physicians Regional. When we got low on PPE equipment, they gave it. The, within an hour, we had what we needed. Wow. And even the business community, um, first uh, Horizon Bank uh, called us and said, do you have enough money? What do you need? Wow. Um, and they gave us $10,000 so that we could go buy what we needed. So, we, yes, we did not in a interrupt care. We continued care. We had a, you know, I'll tell you, Bob, I'm very proud of the administration because when all of this began to manifest, they sat down within an hour with a strategic plan. We were strong in the direction we were going to go, not only in the delivery of care, but how we were going to prepare our facility by uh, reverse ventilation in some of the rooms, sterilization, increasing the number of isolation rooms we had. Hmm. So um, we were ready, and we continued to be ready. What's been the incidence of COVID-19 with your patients and with your staff now? Nothing with our staff. Um, That's great. We are are very um, sensitive to protecting them, and they take the responsibility to do as we ask. Uh, With the patients, we've had, as of yesterday, we have had four, uh, since it's all started, who uh, seem to be symptomatic. Uh, we immediately send those to the health department. One came back positive, three obviously not. Um, so we, you know, Bob, primarily a, we're a chronic disease management, so it's paramount that that not be interrupted for those patients. Yeah. So we've taken care of it, um, and, and I'm proud of the way we're doing it action um, as far as the enhancement of the facility, as I said, um, but it's, um, it's, it's working for us, and, and I'm very proud of it. Uh, yeah, certainly you should be very proud. After 21 years, what you've built is just amazing. With a lot of help, I'm sure, but uh, it's, been, it's been an amazing thing. I'd like our, uh, our, our listeners to understand a little bit better, uh, you know, your typical patient, how you deal with them, how they come there, you know, so... Uh, uh, tell us about that. 
Sure. Um, we have a moral responsibility to the patient, which is one of the reasons that we have continued uh, going forward with staying open. When the patient comes to us, they must be at or below 200% of the federal poverty level, which is about $24,000. Uh, per person. Uh, they must uh, be employed a minimum of 80, uh, and I'm going to come back and touch on this, 80 hours a month. Uh, they must, as I said, be in a low-income job. They must be a resident of Collier County, and they must present this to us. They either have to give us copies of uh, their income tax or an ITIN number. This has to be their goal. I'm working. I'm doing the best I can. I'm a low-income worker. I don't have access to other services, and I need your help. Hmm. The other issue in relationship to this is we only take care of people who are ill. We are not a wellness clinic. We don't do general exams just for the sake of it. Uh, we take care of people who are really working hard to stay ahead of it. And as you mentioned, we have hundreds hundreds of volunteers, and we're very um, frugal in how we spend our money. For every dollar that comes to the clinic, 90 cents goes directly to patient care. Uh, Damon, our pharmacist, is uh, very sophisticated at seeking pro bono medications for our patients, wow. and we have continued to do that through this crisis. Um, we... Uh, we're 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 on it, and we're not going to hesitate, and we're not going to slow up. Yeah. So uh, when all this discussion about healthcare was going on, and healthcare being a right, and so forth, uh, the one thing that I, I determined in my own mind is: so uh, why are we going through these big government programs? Why not just establish neighborhood health clinics across the United States? <laughs> I think it would do solve the problem in just a great way. And other through private enterprise and through private organizations like yours. <laughs> Yes, I, I agree. You know, I don't think that Bill and I, when we drafted this idea uh, 21 years ago, really had a clear understanding of the scope of need. But, you know, I will tell you, just last week I received another phone call from an organization, a couple of people actually, they're not an organization yet, who are up in the Sarasota area saying, help, help, how did you do this? We need to get something like this up and running. You know, Bob, it is a community organization. Yeah. You know, the example being that when this started to transpire with the panic, with the uh, virus, you know, we all went, walked into Leslie's office. She's the CEO, and we sat down and said, "Okay, what are we going to do?" An hour later, we had a plan. Yeah, that's just absolutely hard. It's it's amazing to me. And when I come back to the whole notion, this, uh, quite frankly, we have charter schools that are starting around the country, giving a, creating yeah. school choice for uh, for parents. We should yeah. do the same thing with healthcare with what you're doing. Now, uh, what is your website? It's www.neighborhoodhealthclinic. All no spaces. Uh, dot org. Um, I want to talk a minute about the board. Sure. If I still have time. Sure. Uh, we have 19 members on our board, and they are all strong uh, community leaders. And during this event, besides the responsibility to the well-being of our volunteers and staff and our patients, we had a lot of responsibility to our board because they've stepped forward and said they're part of the team. Um, we issued uh, biweekly a report on what we had been doing, what we had enhanced, what we had tried and decided that wasn't the direction we should go, and what we did to replace that idea. Um, and they were very supportive of us. Uh, they'd get back to us with some ideas and cheering us on. So, you know, again, back to your point, this this town is running that clinic. <laughs> yeah, that's it's a great thing. Again, neighborhoodhealthclinic.org is the website, neighborhoodhealthclinic.org. Again, not government-funded, and you can make a difference by making a contribution for a very worthy cause. Uh, again, Nancy, congratulations on building what you've built, the Neighborhood Health Clinic, and thank you so much for joining us here on the show. My pleasure, Bob. Take care of yourself. Be safe. You as well. Thank you, Nancy. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. It was nice to get the computer working again so we could have the uh, the, the sound in the in the commercial breaks. That <laughs> the little things can make a big difference. I hope you come uh, join us on Monday 
Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, will be with us. Uh, Larry Reed, the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, will be joining us. And Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of great mystery novels, will be with us as well. Uh, Put on your calendar uh, Tuesday at 3 o'clock. There's going to be a virtual forum for Collier County Commission candidates. Uh, I will be uh, the moderator, one of the moderators for the for the program, and I think it could be infor- very informative to help you learn uh, more about the candidates running for Cuyahoga County Commission. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>